Okay, so a, a quick recap of where we've been. So last week, uh, Ben preached the first half of Luke 24, and I'm going to finish Luke 24 and the book of Luke. And uh, last week, we saw how Jesus, he, uh, was, he was crucified and killed and put in the tomb. And then last week, we saw how he uh, was raised to new life, and the tomb is empty. And he uh, appeared to a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And um, they, uh, he, he, he appeared to them and, and, and opened their eyes to the scriptures. And so, um, and they in turn went and, and talked to the rest of the disciples, the rest of the 12 disciples or the 11 disciples now, and, and, uh, and told them about these things. So we're going to start in verse 36. Um, this passage that we're going to look at today is, is sort of broken up into three smaller sections. And the middle section is, is really where um, we're going to see the, is the main points, the big the big picture point that we're going after this morning. Um, and it's all about uh, Scripture. Christ points his disciples back to Scripture. And, and that is why uh, we hold the Bible so highly here at Integrity, because Jesus held the Bible uh, very highly. And so we want to be like Jesus. We want to um, put a lot of weight on his word to us. And so um, that's what we're going to look at again this morning. But um, we'll look at uh, verses, 30, verses 36 through 43 first. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Okay, so uh, again, so uh, this passage in verse 36 starts off with um, as they were talking about these things. And so whenever we see something like that in scripture, okay, so what is he talking about? What are these things that um, Luke is referring to? And if we look back in, in the previous um, passage, it is about how Jesus had appeared to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then now they're hanging out with the other disciples and they're talking about how Jesus had to appear to them. And so those are the things that they're talking about, that they're discussing over, uh, over dinner to together. Um, And then it says, uh, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. Uh, And so Jesus, as we saw last week, he he arose from the grave and uh, he is given a new body. Now we don't know exactly what that means and exactly what that looks like in all its facets, but apparently what it means is that he can teleport. Um, because he's, he just shows up uh, to the guys on the road to Emmaus and then disappears. And then in this instance, um, so in, they're in this room, the disciples, and it seems that the door's shut and the windows are closed, and Jesus just stood among them, and, uh, and, and he scared them. It's like he shows them, he's like, peace, peace to you guys. How's it going? And, uh, and these disciples, as the text says, they were startled and frightened. And, th- and they thought they saw a spirit. And so um, they thought they saw a spirit because uh, normal people, you and I, can't just show up in a room without opening a door or a window. Uh, that, we can't do that. That doesn't happen. But Jesus was able to do that, and he shows it uh, more than once. And so um, he scares these disciples to death. 
Um, I have been married for four years now, uh, or four years in June. And uh, one thing I learned very early on in my marriage um, is that I cannot sneak up and scare my wife. Uh, she, um, she would die. So, so she, works, she works in Kinston. Uh, and so we live in Warnerville. She works in Kinston. So she has a pretty long drive every morning. Uh, she teaches third grade. And so uh, one thing I do, I, I get up uh, with her, and while she's getting ready, I make her breakfast and lunch, just so that's one less thing that she has to worry about in the morning. And, and sometimes I'll go and make her breakfast, and then we'll have more than one thing for lunch. And so I go and ask her, hey, hey, what do you want for lunch? And uh, she'll have you know, taken a shower and gotten dressed and put on makeup or whatever. And uh, I have walked in while she was in that process of putting on makeup and scared her and she about poked her eye out with that mascara and uh, just, I was just trying to ask her what she wanted for lunch and so now, now what I do is as I walk in and I, I make it very clear that I'm here hey honey uh, what would you like for lunch because I don't, I don't want to scare her to death now, I'm her husband. She knows uh, that I'm in the house. I, you know, it's just because it's really early she's still half asleep that it, it scares her but imagine being, you're spending three years of your life with this teacher, with this master, with the Son of God, and you watch him uh, get crucified and, and die, and you see him being placed in a tomb, and then a couple days later, three days later, you go back, and his tomb is empty, and some of your other friends, they saw him, he's appeared to them, and then they're, they're just sitting here talking about this, you know, what, what, what to make of this, and then he just appears out of that room. Or into that room. It's terrifying, of course. If my wife was there, I think she, she probably would have died if she was in that room. But um, he, so he shows up, and then he, he sees that they're startled, which wouldn't probably take a, a genius to see that. And he says to them in verse uh, 38, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And so Jesus shows up out of nowhere and he scares them. And then he asks them, why are you guys troubled? Well, come on, Jesus. Like, you should know that that would scare anyone, right? Um, but then he asks them another thing. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? And so this is, this is talking less about just the fact that it, he startled them and more along the lines of... Um, who was this person who was in the room with him? So he knew, he read their mind, and he knew that they must think this is a ghost, it's a spirit, because it says, um, and they thought they saw a spirit. And so he's saying to them, why are you doubting that I'm me, that I'm the same person? Why are you doubting that it's the same Jesus who you knew before who's in this room with you? Why are you doubting that? But, but Jesus, in his grace, in his mercy, he offers them evidence. He offers them proof that it is really him. And he's, showing him he's showing them two things. Um, he says, uh, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. And so what he's doing by this is he's showing them that, hey guys, I'm the same person who you saw before, who you saw crucified and put in the grave. See, I still have a mark on my hands and my feet. And so he's reassuring them that he's not a stranger, but he is the risen, um, the risen Christ, the, the, the same guy who they knew before, just with a new body. And so he, he's telling them that, but he, but he also says to them, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And so he's telling them, hey, I'm the same guy who you knew I was before, but also touch me and see, I'm not a spirit 
And so they were afraid that this ghost had just appeared out of nowhere. And Jesus knew they had this doubt, but he's offering, he's reassuring them. He's offering them evidence that, no, I'm not a spirit. See, a spirit, um, they don't have flesh and bones. They don't have the body that I have. That's what Jesus is saying then. And that's what verse 40 says. And when he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And then I love verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? So uh, like I said, I mentioned my life before. We've been married for four years. And, and as I was studying this verse, I was trying to figure out what does it mean to be disbelieved for joy? And after doing some more thinking and, and some reading, uh, it came to the realization and, and learned that this is what he's talking about here. It's not that they literally disbelieved that it was Jesus. Uh, it was more like, is this too good to be true? That we just saw him crucified and put in the grave, but it's empty and he's here. Is this, is this too good to be true? And so I, I tried to think about how could I relate to these disciples on, on experiencing something that just seemed too good to be reality. Um, and uh, my wife and I, we got married in June uh, of 2008 down in, in Beaufort, South Carolina. So I pronounced that correctly, Beaufort, South Carolina. And uh, we got married in this old, old church. It was like a Civil War uh, hospital. Like, so this, this church is old, and so it looks like a church from that era. And it's got beautiful wood floor and awesome, just awesome-looking wood pews and these really tall pillars in the front. So if you're standing on the front of the stage where the pulpit would be, and you look down the center aisle, there are these two doors. And they're probably like 10 feet tall and, and really wide. And so um, on our wedding day... Uh, I came to the front, and my groomsmen were over here, and, my, and, the, and the bridesmaids were over here. And I was up at the altar by myself, and our pastor um, who married us, he, he gave me a charge. And he said, okay, this is what it means to be a man, uh, to be a good husband. You have to do this and this. And so he was just encouraging me in, in my soon-to-be marriage. And then I remember him saying, he finished his charge to me, and he said, and behold your bride. And at that moment, there's the, the chapel bell rung, and it's just this really regal scene. And then the doors swing open, and on this sunny, beautiful June day, you know, the, the sanctuary is, is kind of dark, and so the doors open, and, and your eyes have to adjust to the light. And then I see my wife and her dad around the corner, and I can only see their silhouettes at first, but then they walk down the aisle, and I see her, and I hadn't seen her yet that day, and in her dress, and she just looks so beautiful, and it's like, I remember, think, I was bawling, and I remember thinking at that point, this can't be happening, this is, this is not really happening, but then she came down, and her and her dad, and her dad gave me a hug, and, and he placed her hand in my hand, and it, it was almost like he's saying, no, this is really happening. Here, take her hand. This is, this is really happening. And that is, it's almost like, that's almost like what Jesus does. Because these disciples, they're experiencing something that is too good to be reality. They, this, our Savior, cannot be in the room with us right now. And Jesus is like, no, it's me. Look at my hands, look at my feet. Okay, you're still disbelieving for joy. Give me something to eat. Have you anything here to eat? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. So Jesus, just over and over and over again, gives them reason to believe what really happening is really happening. It's, it's, it's reality. And so he establishes with them, okay, I'm the same person who you knew from before. 
and I'm really back. I really have a new body. I'm really here. And so he establishes that with them, and then he goes into talking about what he wants to walk them through before he leaves earth. And so uh, something that's important to understand, between verses 43 and 44, um, there's sort of like a break in time. And so uh, the Bible is a, is a work of literature, and so we have to remember that as we're reading it. And uh, what we know from the other Gospels and, and from the rest of Scripture is that uh, Jesus, he, he rises from the grave, and he, he remains on earth for 40 days And then on the 40th day, he ascends into heaven. And then 10 days later, he sends the Spirit down on the day of Pentecost. And so from verses 44 to 49, this is almost like a summary of the things that Jesus talked to them about. so, So keep that in mind as you're reading this. This is what Jesus spent 40 days talking with his disciples about. All right, so verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And so he tells them, Hey guys, uh, everything that happened to me, that, those were all written in the scriptures. Those were all prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ." And they're written about him in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And so this is short of, this is like shorthand for the Old Testament. And so what Jesus is doing is he's telling them, hey, uh, all this stuff that happened to me was prophesied about and is fulfilled. And we're going we're gonna to see in a moment uh, how they were fulfilled. And we'll talk more about that. But um, verse 45 is really important to get. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, this came up last week, and, and Ben taught on it. And um, if, if we don't think well about this, this can be a little bit scary. But really, if we spend time thinking about what this means for us, this should be one of the most encouraging verses in the New Testament for Practically, as a believer, because what this says is that um, it is God working in people's hearts and minds to understand the scriptures. Now, so what that means is that I can get up and I, I can present a perfect sermon, just well written, well articulated, and I have seen people share the gospel with other people. And prob- you know, y- you look at debates between atheists and uh, Christian philosophers and Christian believers, and you know, you just think, oh man, this guy is just, you know, there's no way you could accept, you could not accept Christ after the way he presented the gospel there. But it takes the Holy Spirit working in people's lives for them to really understand the scriptures. And so what this does for us is that it takes the pressure off of me and off of you as you share the gospel, and it helps us rely on God working in people's hearts and not our words. And so when you go and share the gospel with your friend or your neighbor or your family member, remember that it is not up to me to change this person's heart and mind. It is up to God. And so that should be encouraging for us because it's not on our shoulders. It's not up to us. And then he said in verse 46, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer 
and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And so what he says, it's like he sums up the Old Testament in these two prophecies. And the first one is that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And so that's the first prophecy that he talks about this morning. And it, it was fulfilled in, in this time when this was written. And also what that means is that uh, he's telling them, hey, what happened to me, me being crucified, me being buried, me rising again, that was not a surprise. Uh, that was prophesied and talked about in the Old Testament. It's there. And that was what he was opening their minds to understand. And so that, that's also encouraging for us because... Uh, it's, it's not like Christ dying on the cross was plan B for God. That was always his plan from before time began. That he, God in his sovereignty knew that men would sin and rebel against him. But he, in his grace and his mercy and love, he made a way that we could be right with him again. And that was his son doing what we just saw him do in the last few weeks. Dying and then rising again from the grave in new life. And so the gospel was always plan A. It was not plan B. It didn't take God by surprise. It didn't shock him that that was going to happen. And it shouldn't have shocked the disciples as well because he also told the disciples about it. And so that's the first prophecy that he talks to them about. And then verse 47, talk about the second one. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And so this is the second prophecy that he's talking about here. And this one was not fulfilled now and then, and it really it's not fulfilled now either, because if the gospel had been proclaimed in all the nations, we wouldn't have so many completely unreached people groups. And this is why missions is so important today, that we need to send people out among the nations to spread the gospel, to fulfill this mission that Jesus is talking about here. And so repentance and forgiveness of sins, that's the gospel. That's what the gospel is. And so he's saying it should be proclaimed from all nations. So now what we need to remember is that what Jesus is talking about here is the Old Testament. He's pointing them back to the Old Testament and saying, this is how the gospel was going to be accomplished through Jesus and his death and burial and resurrection. And then this is what you're supposed to do with the gospel, is to proclaim it to all nations. And so what that means is that Israel in the Old Testament, was not the end game for God to share the gospel. The gospel was always meant to go out to all the nations. And Israel isn't special outside of the fact that they were the ones through whom the gospel was going to be proclaimed, through whom the gospel was going to be made possible because Jesus was an Israelite. But the gospel was always supposed to go out to all the nations. And that is just God's grace to us who are not Jews, if it weren't for, his, for, for that truth, that we wouldn't be believers today. But God in his grace wants to share his love among all the nations. And then verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. So what he's saying to the disciples in this instance, but also to us as believers today, is that we are the witnesses. We are the conduits. We are the ones who are going to accomplish that second goal to spread the gospel among all the nations. 
Guys, we, we are used by God to spread the gospel to other people. That is the way that God has chosen to, to spread the gospel to everyone. And so again, this highlights the need and the necessity for missions, for us to be sent out among the nations because we are the ones that God is using to spread the gospel. And then he tells them, this is how you are going to accomplish this. In verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed from power from on high. And so he's saying, okay, you are the witnesses of this. You are the ones who are going to spread the gospel to the nations. But don't leave the city yet because you don't have the equipment necessary to spread the gospel. The Holy Spirit, that is the power, or that is the promise of his father that he's talking about. Is, is the Holy Spirit. And he tells them, you can't, don't even leave the city until you have been clothed with this power from on high. So you can't share the gospel outside of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to remember, as believers today, uh, how the Holy Spirit operates is different than how the Holy Spirit operated from Pentecost and before. And so that means that we can't look to the Old Testament to understand how the Spirit works in our lives today because he, He operates differently. Now, it's the same Spirit today as it was yesterday and at, at the day of Pentecost and since before time began. It's the same spirit, but he has changed the way that he operates to us. And you can see that when you look in the Old Testament. So let's take David. I would, I would assume that everyone here would say that David was a believer, right? He's, he's, uh, God says that he's a man after God's own heart. So yes, David was a believer. However, When David sins, you see him pray and ask God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And so uh, that's evidence that, hey, the the Holy Spirit operated differently in the Old Testament. And then you can look at Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And uh, the Holy Spirit would come down upon him during certain points of time, but then the, the Spirit would leave. And so the Spirit operated differently than he does now. And so what, what, how he operates now is that um, Jesus talked about the Spirit even before he was crucified. So he was, he was talking to the disciples and he said, hey, it's better for me that I leave because when I leave, I'm going to send the Comforter down to you. He's going to send the Holy Spirit down. And, and what that means is that the Spirit dwells in us now as believers. And that is how we have the power to to share the gospel with the people around us. That is how we have the power to live the lives that we're supposed to live now. It's only through the power of the Spirit. And then verse 50, he, he leaves. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him, and returning to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. Okay, so he leads them out to Bethany, which is also uh, what we also know as the Mount of Olives. And so this is a familiar place that the disciples have been to before. So he leads them out there and he, and he lifts their hands and he blesses them. And as he was blessing them, it says that uh, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Now we know from some of the other uh, gospels and, and from the book of Acts, what that was, it's like he was carried up on a cloud into heaven. 
And uh, you know what the Bible doesn't say? That once he got out of you, he disintegrated and became a spirit. No. no it says that in the same, he was in the same body that he was at dinner that we looked at earlier in verse 43 and before. It's the same body that he was in as he ascended into heaven, which means that where is Jesus today? He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, wherever that is. So he, Jesus ascended into heaven. That just blows my mind that he's still in the same body then as he, as he is now. And I, I don't know how that works, but the Bible says it, so it's true, so I believe it. Um, and he was carried up in heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, again, I talked earlier about how the Bible is a piece of, in a work of literature, and it is the most widely read book in history, and also is probably, I would argue, the, the most and the best well-written book and piece of literature in history, because God wrote it, right? So, of course, it's going to be the best. But uh, God and the Holy Spirit allow the biblical authors to have uh, their own flavor to the text, and, and what Luke does in this in this in this text, is he ends the book of Luke, his gospel narrative, the same way he began the book of Luke. Now, if you go all the way back to Luke 2, there's the story of Simeon and Anna. These were two saints of, really, the Old Testament because um, Christ hadn't come back yet. So uh, there are these, these two people who loved God, and they, they spent all their time in the temple Praying to God and blessing God. And what they were both separately praying for is that God would show them the Messiah before they died. And, uh, you know, in the story of Simeon, you see that uh, Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus into the temple and Simeon sees him. And God tells him, hey, that is the Messiah. That is the Savior of Israel. And so Simeon, he, he holds Jesus and he, he praises and blesses God. And it says that he remained in the temple blessing God, thanking God for the Messiah. And so just in the same way that Luke began the book, he ends the book with people uh, it constantly, continually in the temple blessing God. And it's just this beautiful picture of what the entire gospel is all about. People praising and blessing God for the work that Jesus did on the cross. Now, again, you know, thinking and talking about the Holy Spirit. So, uh, in the Old Testament, they had to go to the temple to be in the presence of God. That is where God's Spirit was. That's where God was. And so that's why they had to go to the temple to, be, to, to commune with God, to, to be in His presence. But, as New Testament believers, which we all are, when you re- accept and receive the gospel... And Jesus as, as the only Savior who could take your sin away, and he gives you a new heart in Christ, guess what happens? You get the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in you. And so which means that I am the house of God now. And if you are a believer, you are the house of God, which means that we don't have to go somewhere to praise and worship God. We can worship, that's why we can worship him with our lives. You know, as a kid growing up, I always got yelled at at church, like, don't be running in the hallways. You can't run in the house of God, you know. Um, it just talks about, like, you know, welcome to the house of God this morning. And it's a misunderstanding of us, our bodies being temples. 
Like Paul talks about, we are the temple of God now because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And that is the most encouraging thing that we could know and understand as believers is that when you became a Christian, you got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. I am not a spiritual tank. You are not a spiritual tank that needs refilling, right? Like, I got to go and get filled up by the Spirit again. That is not how he operates. When you became a believer and received a new heart in Christ, you got the Spirit, and he's never going to leave you or forsake you. And that is the most encouraging thing to me in the world, that God will never leave or depart from me. I always have the Spirit. And so uh, this also corrects a misunderstanding that I had for a long time. I, I became a believer uh, probably age seven or eight, but I really you know, continued to grow in maturity. And probably until I was 12 or 13, this is, this is literally what I thought. Um, you know, that you, know, you, you talk to children about the gospel and you say, well, you know, Jesus wants to, to come into your heart. And so what I took that to mean in my you know, in little kid brain is that I, I pictured in my mind my heart with a little tiny door on it, with a little tiny door handle, and a little tiny Jesus that would walk up and open the door and walk in and shut it behind him. And he was never going to leave again. And that was what I thought was happening to me. And then I, I matured in Christ, and, and uh, it, it's him working on my heart. But you know, now you, know, you can read the scripture and you can understand, okay, Jesus isn't here with us anymore. He is sitting at the right hand in heaven, but the Holy Spirit lives in, he lives in me. He lives in you if you're a believer. And again, that is the most encouraging thing that I could, I could ever imagine, that God lives in me. And was, that's only possible through the finished work of Christ on the cross because now God looks down and sees me and sees you as, as being righteous like Christ was because when we accept the gospel, we are clothed in his righteousness. And so my prayer for you this morning, if you're not a believer my prayer for you is that you would ask God, as the text talks about in verse 45, that he would open your mind to understand the scriptures and that the Holy Spirit would, would convict of you of your sin and give you a new heart in Christ. And if you're a believer here, my prayer for you is that you would continually go back and look at the scriptures because Jesus thought they were so important that he pointed his disciples back to the scriptures. And so we need to continually be uh, reading his word to us and, um, and growing in Christ because that is how we grow. That is how we, we mature in understanding of our faith is by reading his word to us. Let's pray together.